Listen now to the Lord's word. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. You may be seated. As we ask the Lord's blessing now, our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for this passage of encouragement that we're about to look at. And I pray, Lord, that as the words leave my mouth, that they would be the ones that you would have me to speak. And I pray, Lord, that those who hear would actually listen, because this is a terribly encouraging passage. And I pray, Lord, that we would all be edified and built up by it. And thank you again, Lord, for, for your precious word, which you have given to us. Uh, and we ask now your blessing on it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, <clears throat> we come now in the book of 1 John to a bit of a break in the line of the apostles' reasoning. Uh, kind of an interlude. So up until now, after the introduction of the first four verses... Of chapter 1, he has written by largely using comparisons between the saved and the unsaved. In verses 5 through 10 of chapter 1, he compares the saved and the unsaved to those who walk in the light and those who walk in the darkness, those who admit that they are sinners and those who claim to have no sin. In chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, he makes the comparison between those that keep the Lord's commands and those that disregard them. And then in verses 7 through 11, the comparison is between those that love the brethren and those that do not. And that is a comparison that we will see made several more times as we go through the letter. And in each of these comparisons, he provides the contrast so that we who belong to the Lord may have the assurance that we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And he writes, so that those who do not know the Lord can recognize where they are and turn from their sins to the Savior. And he will once again begin this style of writing in verses 15 through 17 of this chapter that we just read with a comparison between those that love the world and those that do not. But now we have a pause, as it were. So these three verses are written specifically to the saved, those that belong to the Lord those that the apostle cared so deeply for, those that the Lord still cares deeply for, us, you and I, believers, his children, his sheep, those who have heard his voice and followed him. 
This is a passage of scripture that is just plain encouraging. One that we who love the Lord should take great encouragement in hearing and very fitting to start out a new year with. So, listen once again to verses 12 through 14 of chapter 2. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his namesake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So there are three different groups of believers that John is addressing. Children, young men, and fathers. And he addresses each of these groups of believers twice. Once in the present tense, and once in the past tense. So that's how we're going to break it down. By looking at what the apostle tells the little children, the young men, and finally the fathers. Of course, there may be the same question in your mind as what there was in mine when I was studying this passage of scripture. What about the women? Children, of course, is generic and can mean either boys or girls, but there is no mention of young women or mothers, just young men and fathers. So the question is, is John ignoring women? Do young women and mothers not matter? So before we delve into the text, we're going to look at this issue just a little bit. Now, I looked for a fun way to introduce this, but I could only find two sayings that relate to something that you need to address that most people would rather just avoid. One is to address the 600-pound gorilla in the room, but I thought that might be just a little insulting to the ladies. The other one is to address the elephant in the room, and I thought that would be even more insulting. So we won't use either of those, but before we get into the scripture itself, we will briefly address the issue that the apostle is writing what seems to be clearly to men while completely ignoring women. This is one of those times that we need to consider that the Bible was written a long time ago. It was written largely to a male audience because that was the way things were 2,000 and more years ago. With very few exceptions, society was male-dominated. And most, if not all, literature would have been written to men. So, does this mean that women are excluded? It does not. The apostle is not excluding women from this passage any more than he was excluding them when he, light, when he writes that we must love the brethren. Uh, the Lord does not show partiality between men and women. He doesn't show partiality to social status. He does not show partiality to races. And if the Lord does not show partiality, then neither should we. I have a reason that I can make such a statement. It's Galatians 2.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. Uh, slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Again, if the Lord does not show partiality, then neither should we. 
whether you are a man or a woman, a rich person or a beggar, an American or Chinese or African, we are all equal in Christ in our salvation. So, when we look at any passage of scripture, uh, proper hermeneutics require us to consider the time that it was written as well as the culture when we interpret it. A funny little side note about hermeneutics. Anybody know where the root word of hermeneutics comes from? It isn't Hermon. The root word is from the ancient Greek god Hermes, who was the messenger god and associated with language. So I think I can safely say that the Greek god Hermes has no bearing on our proper interpretation of scripture, and yet we use his name in the word Anyway, side, like I said, side note, has no bearing. Um, but is John addressing only women and not, only men and not women? He is not. And here's why. And I probably could have saved a couple of minutes if I had just let off with this. Uh, when John addresses children, young men, and fathers, he is really addressing spiritual maturity, not a specific sex. So John, John is addressing three categories of believers with this passage. Children would include all believers, but in regards to maturity would specifically be new believers. Young men are those who are fresh and being strengthened and nourished. And fathers are those who have achieved a measure of maturity that comes from much study of scripture and walking with the Lord. Now, when we look at these categories, age is a little bit of secondary importance. I have known some young people that would, were very spiritually mature, and likewise, I've known some older people that would still be considered as children uh, in their maturity. But it's difficult to gain a measure of maturity without time, because by its definition, maturity takes time. So first, let's look at what John has to say to the children, which is verse 12 and the last sentence of verse 13. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. And I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. So Robert Candlish points out in his commentary that the term little children is the same phrase that the apostle uses repeatedly throughout this letter, in addressing believers. It is a term of endearment. All believers are little children in his affection, but some are young men or fathers in their spiritual maturity. So as he addresses the little children, or all believers, he points out two things. In verse 12, he points out that we are little children because our sins have been forgiven. And in verse 13, it is because we know the Father. And this is only a slight variation on the same thought. Uh, one cannot know the Father unless their sins have been forgiven. And likewise, if one's sins have been forgiven, they do know the Father. But we become the little children that John is addressing when we taste of the goodness of the Lord. And then having tasted, we come to the table to feast. And when we realize the goodness of the Lord, that he saves sinners... We throw ourselves at his feet and ask him to forgive us. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 10. 
looking at verses 9 through 11. <clears throat> Paul writes that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. So this is what salvation looks like. It is not repeating a prayer or leading a good life. It is believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. Funny side story on this. This morning I was looking at internet articles, and one of them, the headline was, Can a person with tattoos enter heaven? And the author went on to explain how Yes, the person with tattoos can enter heaven. Uh, but they pointed out that the formula for salvation is that Christians believe that we trust in Jesus Christ to save us, right? And then we do good works. Okay, well, that's a little off. Actually, it's a lot off. And then they went on to recap it by saying that, so, so here's the thing. You, you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ and trust in him to save you from your sins, and that's how Christians believe that they get saved. But then you should also go out and do good works because that kind of, it's a good insurance policy to have. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> I mean, you almost presented the gospel in this article and then you completely destroyed it. That's not it, there's no good works. There's no living a good life. It's faith in Jesus Christ. Those who do this, the Lord will save them. John 1.12 tells us, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So this then is who John is addressing, those that belong to the Lord, his children. And the apostle's affection is once again being pointed out in his address to believers. He then goes on to specifically address the two levels of maturity among believers, the young and the old, the less mature and the more mature. So let's, let's look first at the young men or young believers at uh, the middle of verse 13 and the end of verse 14 of our text. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. And I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So John tells us three things that characterize a young believer. First, they have overcome the evil one. Second, they are strong. And third, the word of God abides in them. So first of all, the young believer has overcome the evil one. Now, of course, we have to appreciate that of our own power, we can overcome nothing. As the unregenerate, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We actually belong to the evil one. As those that are dead in sin, we can't overcome anything, least of all the evil one under whose power we are. But the Lord has overcome the evil one. And it is through him and his saving grace that we also overcome the evil one. Satan has absolutely no power over those that the Lord has redeemed. 
the very moment that a sinner is saved from his sins by the Lord, that brand new believer, a newborn infant in the Lord, they have overcome the evil one, and Satan no longer has any power over them. So first and foremost, every believer, regardless of their level of maturity, has the assurance that the evil one, Satan, has no power over them. The devil may certainly tempt them, he may even torment them, but he has no claim on them and no control over them. Now second, the young believer is strong. May surprise you, I'm getting old. It's a fact that I find myself constantly trying to resist, um, pretty much refusing to buy into, but it's also a fact that keeps driving itself home more and more frequently. I can't do what I used to do when I was 18 or 28 or 38. Maybe not even when I was 48. So you may not know this, and I'm not trying to brag or anything, but when I was much younger, I could actually do one-armed push-ups. Don't gasp. So I'm not actually sure how many people can do one-armed push-ups, but it's not everybody. So okay, maybe I'm bragging a little bit. But three shoulder surgeries later involving both of my shoulders, I'm not even sure if I could do a two-armed push-up anymore. Uh, honestly, I feel really good about myself when I manage to one-arm push myself up out of my chair. So, um, you know, we, we age and our strength, it leaves us, right? But of course, physical strength is not what the apostle is writing about here. The spiritual young believer has vigor. This is very necessary in a young believer because they are still very close to the world that they just left behind. A world which is continually trying to draw them back in. And I don't think it's a coincidence that John writes this encouragement in between the previous verses about loving the brethren and the following verses about loving the world. Uh, the new believer comes out of a world that they used to love and now are commanded to hate and into a home where they are commanded to love the brothers that they used to hate. It is a challenge and it requires vigor and strength to hate what you used to love and love what you used to hate. Fortunately, of course, the Lord does not abandon the new believer to their own means for this task. He gives them the means of grace to help them. He gives them prayer. He gives them the sacraments and he gives them his word which is conveniently the third point. The young believer has the word of God abiding in them. <clears throat> now it should be pointed out that the word of God could mean two different things. Jesus Christ is the word. Now listen to John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word of God written to in John 1.1 1, 1 is, of course, Jesus Christ. The other word of God is the Bible, his holy word given to us for our good so that we may know God and know what he expects from us. So which word does the young believer have abiding in them? I checked the Greek and John 1.1 and 1 John 2.14 are the same Greek word, logos. So struggling to figure this out myself, I turned to commentaries. 
and all of the commentaries that I turn to refer to the word in 1 John as being the Bible. Not least of which is, if you check your uh, translation, I know mine has the word in a lower case in 1 John, whereas in John 1.1 it is a capitalized indicating Jesus Christ. So, <clears throat> in light of all these things, I will say that the here in verse 14, the word being referred to is the word of God that the new believer has uh, in them. And even though all believers do have the word of God abiding in them, at this level of maturity, uh, they're actually making use of it. So now let's look at what John has to say to the fathers or mature believers. Look again with me at the first sentences of verse 13 and 14. <clears throat> I am writing to you fathers because you know who you know him who has been from the beginning. In verse 14, I have written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. John tells us only one thing about the spiritually mature, and he tells us that same thing twice. You know him who was from the beginning. Uh, Angie and I have been married for over 40 years. We know each other pretty well. <clears throat> she knows what kind of sandwich I like from breadboard, which is really good because I do not know what kind of sandwich I like from breadboard. I know exactly how strong she likes her morning coffee. But it wasn't always so. When we first got married, we thought we knew each other, and we did a little, but it has only been by time and spending lots of time together that we have grown to truly know each other. Some of the recently married are probably just figuring that out. Some that are not yet married will be figuring that out. And so it is with the spiritually mature man or woman. They know the Lord. They know him who has been from the beginning. They have spent time together. The spiritually mature man or woman spends a lot of time in prayer because they know that that is how we communicate with the Lord. They also spend a lot of time in his word because they know that is how the Lord communicates to us and how we get to know him even better. The mature believer places a priority on the things of the Lord, his worship, serving him, being obedient. And as I pointed out, age is not necessarily the mark of a mature believer, but it sure helps. There are many people that are young that are mature believers, and there are many people that are old that are not. But it's difficult for a young believer to have this level of maturity simply because some things take time. Now, just before we conclude, it would be a good time to point out why John uses both the present and past tenses in these verses. Uh, again, in his commentary, Robert Candlish points out a couple of reasons why John writes in the present tense and then in the past. He writes in the present tense because that is the condition that he is in at the moment of writing. He is alive and he is writing this letter to the recipients. He then writes in the past tense as though he realizes that he may well be gone before some read this letter. Uh, John was very old when he wrote this letter, most believe in his 80s or even in his 90s. And he may well have considered that he would be departed from this world 
before the intended recipients had a chance to read it. So he writes in both tenses for these reasons and maybe also to drive the encouragement home by stating it twice. Now, <clears throat> as we wrap this up, and make no mistake, it won't be within the next few minutes, the question to ask yourself is, where do I fit? Are you a child in the faith, knowing the Lord and having had your sins forgiven, but lacking in maturity? Or are you a young man or woman who is strong and full of vigor and energy? Or perhaps you are spiritually mature, having availed yourself greatly in the means of grace and enjoying a deep relationship with the Lord. So our application is going to be to address each of these three groups. If you are a child in the faith, what are you doing to grow? And I know we have at least a couple here. Yep, this one's for you. What are you doing to grow? Are you putting a conscious effort into your spiritual growth to become more spiritually mature? Or are you content just knowing that you belong to the Lord? My challenge to the spiritually immature among us is that even though you may be content with just knowing the Lord and remaining as a child for the rest of your life spiritually, the Lord is not content with you. The Lord desires that you grow and develop and become stronger in your faith and become a useful tool for him. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3. Paul writes, And I, brethren, could, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? Uh, this is written... Uh, Paul is, is addressing the spiritually immature believers in Corinth who were arguing about who they should be following. And of course, Paul instructs them that they should be following God and not men. Also turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, <clears throat> verses 11 through, 5, 11 through uh, 14, 11 through 14. Concerning him we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For, that, for by this time you ought to be teachers. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And this is written specifically to those believers that should be maturing in their faith, and yet remain as infants only partaking of milk instead of solid food. And to this end, it must be pointed out to the spiritual children among us that you will never grow without availing yourselves of the means of grace. 
The Lord gives us the means of grace so that we can mature in our relationships with him. He gives us the sacrament and his word and prayer so that we can be strengthened through participating in the sacraments. We can speak to the Lord through prayer and we can hear from him through his word. By observing the Sabbath, the day of rest and worship, which we have spent five weeks studying so far and will conclude next Sunday morning. But we grow because all the means of grace are present in the worship service, as well as the fellowship of the saints. So, my encouragement to the spiritual children or the immature believer is to pour yourself into your relationship with the Lord. Whether you are eight years old or 80, the formula is still the same for maturing. Spend time talking to the Lord. Study his word so that you may know him and know what he expects from you. And take every opportunity, to ava- every opportunity available to fellowship with other believers. Your brothers and sisters in Christ will help to strengthen you. And of course, make the worship of the Lord, the one who saved you from your sins, your top priority in your life. If you do these things, you will grow. If you ignore them, you will remain a spiritual child. To the spiritually young men and women, I would offer this advice. You are strong. You have vigor. You are those that do make the things of the Lord a priority in your life, and you are growing in grace and knowledge. You pray often. You study God's word. You make worship a priority in your life, and you avail yourselves of the means of grace. You are a soldier in the Lord's army. My encouragement to you is to be a good soldier. Fight the good fight. Be the person that the Lord uses to accomplish his will. Love and serve the Lord with all of your heart, mind, and strength. Get involved in your church. Get involved in your community. You have spiritual gifts that you may or may not even be aware of. Spend time learning what those gifts are, and then use them to be a blessing to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are living in a community and a world full of lost souls. Get involved in missions. Get involved in politics. Get involved in local outreach. Do not be content with your own private relationship with the Lord as being all that you need. So it may surprise you to hear this, but the Lord did not save you from your sins because you are the center of the universe. He did not redeem you because you are such a wonderful person. He did not send his son to die a horrible death on the cross because you deserve salvation. He did it because he loves you. He did it so that he could redeem you to be one of his own. You belong to him and you owe him everything, including all of your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. So, get out of your comfortable little bubble and use what he has given you for his honor and glory. And finally, to the spiritually mature men and women among us, I offer this application. 
John writes that we have known him who was from the beginning, and we do. We have known him for a long time. <clears throat> Again, not saying that a young person can't be spiritually mature, but it's difficult because it takes a lot it takes time to mature. It takes work and effort. It takes studying the Word of God extensively and spending a lot of time with the Lord in prayer. But as the spiritually mature, the question is, what are you doing with what the Lord has given you? Are you using that maturity to be a blessing to the less mature among us? Or perhaps you're tired and just want to rest. Don't do that. Don't just disengage from the service of the Lord. The spiritually mature have so much to offer, and the more we age, the less time we have left to use what we have to be a blessing to others. John Calvin, who we're probably familiar with, should be a real encouragement to us all in that regard. Uh, he worked diligently right up until the point when he could work no more. Even when he was bedridden near the end of his life, he continued to dictate letters, and I believe he finished his final commentary, which was on the book of Joshua, while he was bedridden near the end of his life. Uh, fellow ministers tried to convince him to slow down and get more rest. His response to those fellow ministers? What? Would you have the Lord find me idle? I think that should be an, that should be an encouragement. So my question is, mature brothers and sisters, what are you doing? And perhaps you ask, what can I do? Maybe you aren't, maybe you aren't comfortable teaching adults. Maybe you aren't comfortable teaching children. Let me ask you this, how many people are you discipling? Five, four, three, two, how about one? If you are spiritually mature, then you have a lot to offer to those who are not mature. You have wisdom and knowledge and life experience. Use those things to help others to mature. So this is where we're going to leave this passage uh, with a great encouragement to those that know the Lord and also with a challenge to each one of you to use what the Lord has given you for his glory and to be a blessing to others. This is the first day of a brand new year. And it isn't the year 2023 common era. It's not. It is the year of our Lord, 2023. Yeah. Let's make it a year where we all grow and mature in our relationships with the Lord. Let's make it a year where we all serve him with all of our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our strength. And let's make it a year where we love one another more and grow closer together as a family of believers. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we do again thank you for this incredibly encouraging uh, passage of scripture. And Lord, I pray that each one of us would, would take these truths uh, seriously and would take them to heart and that each one of us would desire greatly to know you more regardless of our level of maturity we can never know you enough, Lord, and so help us to each uh, strive to spend more time in prayer with you, to study your word more, and to avail ourselves of the means of grace whenever it's possible. Uh, Lord, I pray that as this year unfolds, that we would uh, become 
a congregation that loves to bless one another, that we would love each other greater and serve each other even more. And I pray, Lord, that in all of these things, you would be honored and glorified. And Lord, we do thank you again for this time, and we thank you for your precious word, which you've given to us, and for the privilege it is to study it. And we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.